What's up, Adultish fam? It's Nige, and I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji lopez all of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Honestly, me and my wife both work from home, and so I do all the cooking in the house, so I end up having to come up with a lot of recipes just on the fly. And so when I'm looking for recipes, I usually just go to Google. But now I know that I could just go to Dev and Kenji if I have any recipes that I want to cook for a fire dinner. These pros obsess over techniques and essential ingredients. So you learn everything that you need to create your perfect dish. You can finally be excited to eat what you make and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show of the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Okay, Nige, while you were gone, I I wrote you something in honor of today's episode. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let's get down to business. Uh. You can bet that's a pun. Okay. Of your wife's fave movie from Mulan. (laughs) Yes, that's the one. That is the one. Nigel Jane Turner, tell me how it went. Your business, did it fall through? Ooh, ouch. Nigel Al, get the story out of you. Ooh. Nigel, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's a beautiful song about my wife and about my um, business failing. I don't know how to feel. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of love and a lot of loss in that in that one song. And it made you a, a better <laughs> businessman out of it, hopefully, or not. We'll see. We'll see. It, def- it, it definitely did, but we'll get it. We'll get into that later. But thank you for that, Bert. Welcome to Adultish, produced by YR Media, a show where we sing songs about love and loss. I am Nige Turner. And I'm Merk Nguyen. And before we get into why we're getting our business caps on today, I had all that free time because Nige was on his honeymoon. Congratulations. (laughs) You are officially a married man now. And you got to tell us all about the honeymoon or or whatever you want to share. (laughs) <laughs> it was it was amazing. I, I loved it. Like we went to St. Lucia. Mm-hmm. We did everything. We ziplined. We rode ATVs. We took volcano mud baths in 108 degree hot uh, black water coming from the volcano. And um, <laughs> we did speedboat snorkeling. It was mm. it just felt great to go on a vacation and just like get out, especially just from spending a year in the room and in the house. Mm -hmm. We got out, but first we got vaccinated. After we got vaccinated, then we went on on vacation. (laughs) Yes, this uh, honeymoon was sponsored by Pfizer. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for vaccinating us so so we can get out the house. And um, yeah, it was it was great. 
So you're vaxxed, you're refreshed, yeah. and that's amazing. And now it's time to get back into the work grind because we got some business to take care of. Yeah, we're we're gonna get we're gonna get down to business. Show, um, so. <laughs> why did you want to talk about dish today? I, I wanted to talk about business because it feels like everybody's starting like their own business right now, right? Like mm. almost everybody I talk to is like, "Yo, I'm about to follow my dream." I'm doing this business that I, I've been waiting my whole life to do and everything like that. And it's super dope. Like mm-hmm. I did it too. And I think it's an important thing to do. I think it's beautiful. Like seeing on Twitter and stuff like that, all these entrepreneurs and people going out for their dreams. Mm-hmm. But like a, a fact that I saw was that on the positive side of things, according to Business Insider, the number of people starting their own business is at a 13 year high as of 2020. Oh, hey. Well, uh, yeah. But on the opposite side of that, I found out another fact the hard way. Uh, more than 50% of small businesses fail within the first year. Ooh. So what that said to me was that starting businesses is something that a lot of uh, young people want to do, mm-hmm. but maintaining it is the hard part. So I thought, how about we just all link up, go in on this one subject and we figure it out how to maintain a, a small business. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. So first, Nigel is going to tell us about one of his own business ventures and all the twists and turns that came along with it launching. Facts. And then later, <laughs> we're bringing on uh, one of my homies, Tati, a current businesswoman who runs her own dessert company that's really going wild right now. Plus, we're going to surprise her with a business savvy guest who has a lot to teach us all. Mm, yes. Okay. Now time for that story that I said I'd get out of you. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Uh, 5 a.m. again. I jump out the bed, put on my Nike tech fleece, grab like four snapbacks, shove them in the hat compartment of my new era backpack, and I'm out the door. It's the summer after my freshman year of high school, and everyone my age is sleeping until noon every day. Everyone except me. While they're asleep, I ride my bike, catch two buses to the BART station, and take that train all the way to downtown Oakland because I got bigger dreams. That's right, I'm just a 15-year-old kid from the Bay, and my clothing line is going to take over the world. It all started after I got obsessed with this HBO show, How to Make It in America. It's fiction about two guys in their 20s who create their own New York clothing line, which they call Crisp. They worked tirelessly to get Crisp off the ground, and I loved watching them do it. Even when everything would go wrong and they would end up broke and alone with nothing to their name, the show even made that seem fun. They'd be laughing together about how wild the hustle can get sometimes. It was like a game, and I wanted to play. I needed an outlet for the fire that that show had lit in me. That's when I decided I'm starting my own brand. I roped in my boy Jason, who was a graphic design student originally from New York. So while Jason got to work on the art, I landed an internship at a silkscreening shop. Every morning at five, I would get up and go to the shop. And at the end of my workday, for no charge, with the extra paint left in the buckets from past orders, I would print our shirts out. We used the designs from pictures that we took and recreated them with text from like old Frank Sinatra songs. The brand name we landed on was Unspoken. And the whole theme of the line was a marriage between New York and California, which represented me and Jason coming together. After about six months, we finally had a solid catalog of different shirts with different designs and different styles. But then we stopped. 
That was the first time the business lost momentum. For the next three years, I guess I kind of just got interested in other things, like partying and hanging out with my friends, who we did end up giving a bunch of shirts to. But then a weird thing happened. My friend group, which included Jason, and our business kind of merged together. People started calling my group of friends the Unspoken Boys, or just Unspoken. But that name was always backed with some rumors about how wild we got at parties or how hard it was to be a member of our group. Like it was some exclusive club nobody could really get into but us. At first, it used to make me mad because that wasn't the name of a crew. It was my clothing line. But after a while, we started to lean into it. Everything we organized was branded UNSP to represent Unspoken. We had a basketball team and we named it Unspoken. We changed all our social media handles to have UNSP before our names. After a while, I decided to resurrect the clothing line. But this time, it wasn't just me and Jason. It was our whole crew. So one day, right after I graduated high school, I brought everyone together and pitched them a plan. We were going to finally have an official unspoken launch. And I just knew it was going to be genius. First, me and Jason came up with four new designs for the shirts and got to work on them. Then I got together a bunch of models of people who I knew everyone our age was paying attention to on social media, some of my favorite photographers with decent followings, and a videographer to document it all. I get two 16-passenger vans, drive everyone out to Santa Cruz, and set each photographer up at a location with two models each. Then we would end the whole day with a huge bonfire on the beach. It was ambitious but I just knew if we could pull this off, nobody our age could touch us. And you know what? We pulled it off. Even though it was one of the most stressful days of my life, even though there was drama and ex-girlfriends who crashed the shoot and models getting lost because they snuck off together, the pictures and the videos that we got were perfect. We shot the video, launched it online, and to top it off, we sold out our entire stock that night. We were on top of the world. There was no feeling really like it. It felt like everyone who had tried to humble me, who called me overconfident, who laughed in my face when I told them what I was going to do, they finally couldn't say anything about me anymore. I pulled it off. Well, actually, we pulled it off. Together. Weeks passed, and it was time for our post-launch team meeting so that we could plan our restock. I showed up early for the meeting, started setting up the way that we usually do, and everyone started to pile in. But something was off. As the meeting began, we started talking about our game plan, and it slowly became clear that everyone was on different pages. Half of us wanted nothing to do with major retail stores, and the other half wanted to sell our products at places like Walmart. We were all divided. For about three hours, we argued, and by the end, there was silence all around the room. From then on, Things changed. All of our meetings consisted of two-hour fights, then drinks and pizza, and sometimes random people just showing up out of nowhere. The whole team was best friends with each other, so we all just continued to hang out almost every day, the conversation getting less and less about the business. After a while, the meetings completely stopped. When any mention of the clothing line came up, everyone just laughed it off. At parties that we went to, the talk about our brand had flipped. The same people who used to ask, please, could I just get a shirt? Started jokingly asking the same questions. 
None of us liked it, but nobody wanted to do anything about it. We'd all signed contracts at the beginning also. So it wasn't like I could just take my brand back for myself or choose a path for us on my own. It felt horrible. Like my dream was just getting choked out and everyone was happy I finally got served my fat slice of humble pie. Or at least that's what I told myself. Because the only thing worse than that is that nobody actually cared to begin with. I knew the business was finally dead when I logged onto our website and it just didn't exist anymore. That failure burned. The hardest part about it was that we'd done it to ourselves. We spent the money recklessly, we weren't consistent, and our business meetings had turned into parties. In a matter of months, my dream since I was 15 years old was gone. And even though we failed as a team, I had put all of this in motion. I had nobody to blame but me. Okay, Nige, thank you for sharing yet another one of your very personal stories here with us. No problem. It is a pleasure every time. Okay, well, now we're going to get into how you feel about it. <laughs> how does revisiting this experience make you feel? Um, Kind of nostalgic. I mean, just because it was, it was a cool time. Mm-hmm. It was a cool time. Like, putting all this stuff together. Like, I remember I was, I was in a very like learning stage of of life and it's good vibes for me in a weird way i wanted to get into the the dream part of it because this was such a big dream for you but like did your friendships change after the business faded out uh nah, not really like we've all been friends since like we were probably 10 or 11 and then i mean to this day and our business didn't really affect our friendship ever did you ever talk about the fallout openly among the unsp squad we never like all linked up and just talked about it. And I think it I think you could feel that like whenever like it comes up, it's kind of just something we all kind of laugh about and kind of like just you brush know. it off. <laughs> yeah, we all we all just kind of everybody just takes a deep breath like, whoo, yeah, man, that hurts mm. and just keep it pushing. But like we're kind of a group of people who lean into our failures a lot, especially when it comes to like jokes. So so it's more of like a, well, we acknowledge that it happened, but we're just not going to dive deep because why? I mean, I just want to know, I don't know if, if I was in your position, I'm obviously not mm-hmm. you, but like, I would want to talk about the feels of it. Me and and one of my friends, my friend Greg, we're mm-hmm. probably the only ones that, that have actually kind of dove into it and actually been like, man, like, do you know how we could have did it? Like, do, do you see like what, what we could have been and we talk about it like, man, that was just like an opportunity lost. But I mean, it's just one of the many failures that we have that we've learned from. Well, why didn't you decide to go forward with it with just like you on your own? It it sounded like it was such your big dream for a while. Yeah, I felt like it was dead. I felt like I felt like I couldn't do it because we had all signed like contracts. We were all like equal owners. We we're all co-owners at that point of mm-hmm. UNSP. And like I didn't feel like rebranding it. I didn't feel like Mm-hmm. doing anything else with it. I felt like I put my all into it. I involved everybody who I felt like would take it to a different level and then it didn't work. And then I just kind of left it there because I was like, this was everything that I had. This is what I thought would work and it didn't. And mm-hmm. I think I just slowly over time just became okay with that. So a question I have is, 
when people say, like, don't do business with your friends, is that advice you would also co-sign or? <laughs> I can I can see why people say that, because when it comes down to like business, sometimes you kind of just got to be like cut and dry. And if you don't have that like business relationship established with somebody, then it can just get like a little iffy because they're leaning on the side of them being your friend. Mm. Business is is pretty much just like we need this by this time and mm. we have to figure out a way to do it. Whereas like the friendship part of it kind of complicates that and kind of blurs that conversation. Yeah. What is the biggest piece of advice you have for someone who is starting out based on your experience? Stay consistent. That's the biggest piece of advice that I have. You ended the story by saying there's nobody to blame but me, which sounds like a lot of pressure to put on yourself, especially when you had so many people like who are part of the business, too. Do you still feel solely responsible for all of that? Um, yeah, I felt solely responsible for it because if I could have like managed the team better since it was I was the one that put it together. If I maybe would have had things more organized, maybe if I would have like understood the amount of like talent and the personalities that I was working with, I could have, I could have made it work. Mm. Um, I felt like the quarterback of a team. <laughs> and so I felt like, yeah, I, I brought the energy that, that, um, that was contagious. And if I would have really been like, there's no way that this will fail. I don't think we would have failed, but mm-hmm. I came at it uh half-heartedly i wasn't all the way in and because of that i feel like that was contagious i didn't know how to fail i didn't know how to how to not for things just not to go right for everything to go wrong i took it very like emotionally i failed totally wrong it's a valuable lesson especially for like a small business owner you gotta learn you gotta learn how to fail Mm. and so i definitely would start my own business again whatever it may be i'm excited for for my next business i definitely will start another business and i'm excited to fail because the more that I fail, the closer I am to, to getting it right. Oh, that's that's the spirit. I really like how you <laughs> you got it, champ. Oh, that's the spirit. <laughs> that's the spirit. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for teaching us a, a thing or two, Mr. Nige. Uh, when we're back, a special business advice segment called Sister the Sister. What's going on, Adultish fam? It's Nige, and I'm going to tell you about this new show coming out. Before I get into that, I want to tell you about what Black representation in media means to me. It means the world, really. It's the reason I am where I am and why I do what I do. And there were movies like Boomerang, like Love Jones, that even showed me that it was possible to be Black and exist in these creative spaces. It might sound like a given, but When you see yourself represented on screen or in any forms of art, it allowed me a new way of looking at myself and what my life trajectory looked like. And there's this show out on NPR where the next generation of influential Black voices can be found. It's NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. You'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit of the range of Black Stories, Black Truth. 
I literally just got done listening to the Black Film Canon episode of Black Stories, Black Truth. And it really was amazing. I mean, I'm so glad that they championed Homecoming as one of the greatest Black movies of recent times. Beyonce really did her thing. So I love the show so much. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country that we reflect. Stories should never be told about us without us. Listen to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. So y'all just heard one of my biggest fails, my business. Uh, It crashed and burned and yeah, I feel really bad about it. But in order to cleanse the air, (laughs) in order to cleanse the air, I invited on one of my friends, Tatiana Williams, who has started her own business during this pandemic that is going a lot better than mine did. So yeah, Tati, thank you for coming on here. Joy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Heck yeah. You know, the last time I saw you, in person and the only time I saw you in person was before the pandemic when you made gumbo. You remember gosh, that? Yes, I do. Yeah. We were all over. Oh my gosh. What I- <laughs> yes, that was so much fun. I know. And you're like, what's up, merch? I'm like, yes, merch. <laughs> I'm so sorry for getting your name wrong. I promise no, it's I'll never all good get it wrong again. Because then it made me think, oh, I should start selling some some Merc merch. <gasps> Merc merch. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Nah. Can you um can you tell us a little bit about Tati's berries? Like I can hype you up or you could or you could let us know what's going on. <laughs> no, yeah. Tati's berries is pretty much just like a, a chocolate covered strawberry business. We sell gourmet strawberries um with gift boxing. The reason I created Tati's berries was to make everyone else feel happy because I get joy in that and I get joy in seeing like people's results and their happiness once they get my product it just makes me feel good so I pretty much started it just to bring some light into the darkness that we all worldwide experience oh I feel your joy so much oh, love <laughs> <it>. <laughs> thank you well Tati yes we got a surprise for you we have not been totally honest uh I know I told you we were just about to hop on here and talk about your berries but this segment is <laughs> Actually, to highlight two Black creators in different places of their careers. So in addition to you, we also have with us a chef who has experience working under big names in New York City culinary arts industry. Oh my God. And she's now the owner of her own pastry company called The Salty Heifer Co. Oh so here with us today is Chef Aisha <laughs> Williams. <laughs> Hello, Tati. Yeah. Or should I call you Ta- Chef Tatiana? Which one is it? Which one Ooh, would you prefer? Chef Tati. Oh. Chef Tati sounds so amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. Thank I you. I will address you as you see yourself. And there it is. Oh, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. So, you know, today we're here to learn about both of your stories and yes. Chef Aisha. We want to know, tell us your business story. How did you get started in this industry? And could you describe your business for all of us? So the Salty Heifer Company is a virtual or online bakery out of Brooklyn. And we specialize in bringing the nostalgic things you loved as a kid um, forward. So our motto, adulting is hard, eat a cookie. So what we believe (laughs) is that as you got older, you're palate changed, your taste got a little better. So we're refining (laughs) all the yummy things that you liked and bringing it to you. So I got started 
much later in life. I did not start culinary like everyone else. Well, a lot of my peers who came right out of high school or in their early 20s, I started in my 30s. And after a few life-changing events, I was like, yeah, no, this is not working. (laughs) I don't really like this anymore. Um, (laughs) I had an ulcer. So I ended up getting to a point where it just no longer served me and it no longer made me happy. And the one thing that I knew that I really loved and that I'd always fallen back on was cooking. Chef Tati, like she said, like I enjoy cooking for the people I love. I also enjoy watching them eat the things I make. (laughs) I grew up cooking and baking with family. I'm Panamanian. I'm a Panamanian-American, Jamaican-Bajan roots. So we cooked all the days. Wow. It <laughs> smelled really good in your house. Yes. We had the music playing, so all the things. And so I decided I was 30 whatever and then decided <laughs> to go to culinary school and nice. fast forward out of restaurant life. Here I am. That's so dope. I do have another question. Did you have any other Black-owned business mentors for yourself when you were starting out, Chef Aisha? When I started out, there weren't that many who were highlighted, right? Mm -hmm. So this is late 2000s. Though we were in kitchens, we weren't around. Although, you know, Chef Edna, we also had Marcus Samuelson, Chef Tony, who is an amazing pastry chef. Um, there was a chef out of Paris as well, but those here in New York, they weren't as prominent yet. So when I first started out, I was probably one of the only Black women in the kitchen. Mm. And it was hard. You know, it was a predominantly male, white, European. That was it. So oftentimes, if I look to my left, to my right, there weren't many of me. Man. Yeah, it So I'm really pleased to see where we've come and how we arrived here. I see the younger generation and those who came, who were in it a little bit after me. um, And I admire them all. Like, I think they are fantastic. Mashima, Chef um, Naisha Joyce, you know, Mm -hmm. you've got Adrian, you've got Cheryl Day, you've got Chef Paula Velez. I mean, it is astronomic. Eric Ajapong, like all, like it's, It is phenomenal now to see the breadth of space that we're taking up. I think it's fantastic. What kind of comfort or what kind of words do you wish someone would have told you in those times? Wow. I think for me, and maybe because I am like the grandma on the chat on this Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. You're an auntie. You're an auntie. I'll I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm an auntie, so I am a tea, so I'll take that. Um, I think... I was fortunate, right? Because as I grew in any industry that I was in, it was I was always one. It was either just me or I was one of maybe three to five. Mm-hmm. But to your question, I think it would have been fantastic to have had someone who looked like me to say, you know what, keep going, keep pushing. There is a way, like there is a way. Mm-hmm. You are forging the way, keep going. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine in another industry always reminds me that we lift as we climb. And it would have been nice to have had someone, even that I knew personally, let me say that, because they definitely existed and definitely paved a way for me even to be in a Michelin-starred restaurant throughout that journey. But it would have been nice to have someone physically present, you know, just quietly encouraging and understanding the battle. 
I think that's what that's why I'm like so excited about this right now. That's that's exactly like what we wanted to capture with this. And moving on to another part of it, we want to open up the floor now for you, Tati, to ask Chef Aisha some questions, sister to sister, to learn more about the industry that you're both in and some of the hurdles that that you've been able to overcome and make them a little bit easier knowing what's coming ahead of you. So do you remember that I asked you to prepare some questions for your future self? Yeah. <laughs> so can you... Uh, <laughs> This is going to be, this is where, where those questions come back up. <laughs> so bring those questions back up and uh, ask them to uh, oh Chef Aisha. Okay, okay. I will. All right. So <laughs> Chef Aisha, hello. Um, I just kind of wanted to know, like, um, how has it been, like, being a woman of color? Like, how has that affected business for you? So ideally, I, I really don't pay it any mind. And, and that's not to whitewash mm. it at all because it, this is a fact yeah. of who I am. This is what I am. I've always been. It has never been a crutch to me. Um, I was raised under the premise that you belong in the room. So it is not a privilege for you to be there. You, in fact, belong there. So I operate with that knowledge that I belong. What I will say, though, is that 2020, with the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery and countless others, um, Black lives became the cause du jour yet again, right? But I think this time there seems to be a shift. So now during the pandemic, specifically during the pandemic, being a Black woman has been, I've been riding that wave. Let me say that. Never miss an opportunity, number one. <laughs> Never miss an opportunity. <laughs> Capitalize on it however you can in a way that will benefit not just you, but everybody else, right? That you are concerned about. People have been pouring into Black women specifically during this yes. time because yes. we are so, so underrepresented and oftentimes discounted. As a Black woman, I am hyper aware of my responsibility to forge a way for the Black girl behind me and for the Black woman to my left and to my right. Like, that's yes. that's how I move. Tati really been coming for it, for real. Like, not when you said don't miss an opportunity, like, I'm, I, it made me think back to, so I proposed in August, and I just asked Tati for, like, you know, a few berries, like, little one little thing or whatever, berries. She came with a whole, like, chocolate heart with the breaking oh hammer God. thing with the <laughs> Mrs. Turner on Thank it. And I, I was like, yo, what is, you came with, like, four or five different boxes, like, oh, yeah, it's on me. It's just, boo, boo, just, yeah, just take some pics, boo, boo, boo. And I was like, right. yeah, there just coming for set a brand. Yes. You establish yourself yes. as a brand right then and there, right? So, and that's what you do. Like, that's how you present, you're presenting to the world, this is my business. Like, I yes. could have just made Nigel a cute little berry, right? But, <laughs> yeah. um, and also congratulations to you, Nigel. And also, yeah. thank you. congratulations, Tati, for doing this, for, for even oh, just God, starting, you. right? Just oh, starting you. and moving forward. Congratulations, because that thank is the hardest part. <laughs> like, that is thank the hardest you. part, because the idea can live forever, you know, until you make it do something. Exactly. And actually, speaking of moving forward, that kind of goes into my next question. I just wanted to know, like, what inspires you to keep moving forward on days where it's easy to just give it up and just, it is what it is, you know? There will be times as you grow 
that you're going to be like, this is ridiculous, the dumbest thing I ever did. Why did I do this? Why, why would I put myself through this? And then you are reminded, even after you say that to yourself, like, nah, because I really love it. And this is what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. But every time I open up Instagram or I'm approached by adult-ish like this, like <laughs> things like that, um, <laughs> it reminds me that I'm on the path I'm supposed to be on. And it fuels the inspiration to be creative and to do new things. And then when I see other women who are creating and who are pushing, that gives me energy. Like I am, I'm very much a woman's woman. And like Issa Rae said, I mean, I I really do root for everybody that's Black. So (laughs) I really do. But I also really do root for people of color and anybody who's marginalized, right? I'm an Afro-Latina, I'm a woman. Like it just, like I checked so many boxes. So I appreciate seeing women of all ethnicities, but particularly Black, Brown, and women of color pushing. Now, obviously our audience is a big, plays a big part in like our business, of course. So what are some ways that we can keep our audience like satisfied while we're still creating boundaries within ourselves? Example, I guess like one of your friends wants a discount or they want something for free. Like what boundaries would you be able to set while still keeping our audience satisfied? No is literally a superpower. Being able to say no, period. Not no comma, not no semicolon, Mm. not no dash, not no ellipsis. Like no, (laughs) period. Yes. What you can do for friends and family, I now have a standard discount that I just give. I I make sure there is no more texting me to tell me what your order is. There is no more uh-huh. calling me on my cell to tell me, hey, girl, I need a cake. Because it mm-hmm. also sets the tone for both of you. Because they can't go into their local spot and just say, hey, so you know what? I want to, I want this and blah, 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 and chat up the owner. Because the owner's going to be like, that's fantastic. Go pay over there and pay. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. That's They'll true. listen to all of that and write it down on an invoice and be like, here you go. Go pay. (laughs) And so you have to ensure that you are maintaining that boundary for yourself, most of Mm -hmm. all. Because the minute you see this as a real business and not a hobby, everyone else will fall in line. Chef Aisha, thank you so, so much. I appreciate you answering my questions. It feels like I'm talking to my future self through you. Oh, so, I'm so glad. I appreciate you, you so Tati, much. Chef thank Tati. you. It was a pleasure meeting you. I think thank what you. you're doing is fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you both so much for being on here. And if you're in a bay and you want some delicious Tati's berries, check her out on IG at T-A-T-Y-S dot berries. And if you're in the U.S. and you are craving some delicious pastries, check Chef Aisha's uh, Tasty Pastries out at thesaltyheifer.myshopify.com. So takeaway number one, friendship alone cannot hold a business together. You got to be all in or I'm sorry, it's just not going to work. And takeaway number two, when you're out there trying to make it with your business, remember how asking for help is part of the journey while also helping others along the way. 
Yup, and now we want to thank you for listening to Adultish, produced by YR Media, a national network of young artists and journalists creating content for this generation. We want to give big shout outs to our producer, Georgia Wright, executive producer, Rebecca Martin, and the young people at YR who contributed art for this episode. With Chef Aisha Williams on today's show and Chef Dan Juicy on our Nom Nomish episode, Adultish currently has three Michelin stars, but we want more. So <laughs> if you haven't already rated us on Apple Podcasts, please do and leave a review. Yeah, you can stay up to date with us on our site at adultishpodcast.com. We're on social at YRAdultish. Merck Social is Ultrarad Uberfad. And if you want to scroll back in time on my IG and see some UNSP shirts and ads, go check it out at unsp.gully and watch the promo video on YouTube called UNSP Official Promo. It is really cool. There is some blue smoke, so y'all got to get ready for it. (laughs) We're also proud to be members of Radiotopia by PRX, an independent listener-supported collective of some of the most insightful shows who mean business in all of podcasting. Find them at radiotopia.fm. And now for next week's Out of Context Clip. Mmm, okie dokes. We'll talk to you when May hits. Yup, later. Radiotopia.